It's Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Thanks to Vic Tafer from The Athletic for popping on with us. Weird week. Weird week. Uh, and Vic said it hasn't really been explained. I, I thought the same thing when I saw the plan for the Raiders to play in Denver. The, uh, that's mandated by the NFL. Um, week two at Buffalo. But they're doing an early trip to go camp in West Virginia. I guess they get acclimated to humidity. Eastern time zone. I don't know, man. Got to keep the players on their toes. That's a weird one. Yeah, but if it were like week nine, you know what I mean? Like you could explain it, but week two? Strange? No? It is, but we can't question them. They're one to know. Uh, we can they control them. their own we, destiny we at this point. Actually, I'm sure someone's going to do a story on it. How many times Belichick did this and how many times it worked? You know, if you have a oh. back-to-back trips to the West Coast. But here's the thing. This is not a back-to-back trip to the East. It's freaking mountain time zone, and it's like, and and they came back here, and then they're going out today to West Virginia. Maybe they saw all the Chandler Jones stuff coming, and they're like, let's just get far as far away from Vegas as possible, so Chandler won't follow us to West Virginia. I joke, they didn't know that was going to happen, and he was, again, back to the conversation with Vic. Chandler Jones was posting on social media over the weekend, and it was more of that stuff that looked like a violation of trust private conversations and putting them out on social media. So, I don't know what's going to happen. But he also posted the team accounts, you know, you know, victory, you like post. You okay. Know. So he was happy for the team. Yeah. All right. All right, 3 o'clock on Mondays and Thursdays, we do the frenzy. In this case, we're going to bounce around the NFL and some college football. So, Bama ain't exactly super dominant Bama of years ago. And this is not an overreaction. This is something we talked about on the show, more than a few times, they have a quarterback situation. I like the Milrow kid, but he's not a great thrower of the ball. And if the guys behind him can't beat him out, then I assume, not that they're not great throwers of the ball, but neither one is a you know a knockdown favor to just go in there from Milrow. And it's funny. With college football, because I cover a lot of it, and cover UNLV specifically, I often hear stuff on radio where it almost feels like, Damon, guys are forcing themselves or the producers are like, hey, it's a big game with Texas and Alabama. You got to talk about it. You know you don't if you don't want to. And if you're not right up on the game and you don't really have an educated opinion on it, then bring someone on who does. And this show really likes Colin Cowherd. But when I heard him try to cover this game on Friday – was driving around. Like, like I said, I listen to our stations all the time. I listen to Satellite. I, I'm still a junkie for Sports Talk Radio, and I can kind of tell when people are just faking it. If you have a take on a game and you have a pick, okay. But this was Colin on Friday, and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means uh, when you're trying to break down the Texas-Alabama game, and you'll hear clearly he was wrong in this very light analysis. Here's what I know. Bama wins these games and Texas doesn't. Y'all watch Saturday morning cartoons when you were kids? I've seen enough of those that know that the roadrunner gets away, a coyote falls off the cliff. That's what this feels like. Bama's going to get away and Texas will fall off a cliff. It's just this feels like certainty against uncertainty. Bama, Saban, who's calling the shots? Great defense, certainty. Against Quinn Ewers, 
Steve Sark, who's calling the shots, uncertainty. Leaking oil. Leaking oil badly. Texas reference there. I would yeah, have bit yeah, the house after I heard that. That's not, that's not the way it worked out. Um, the scenario who's painting at the end there is like Quinn Ewers. Yeah, the guy who was a top five quarterback coming out who committed to Ohio State, started his college career early because he had so much money coming in NIL, went to Texas. Yes, they recruited another quarterback, beat out. A guy who has a gigantic name, but a lot of people say that Arch Manning is really a three-star prospect, kind of dressed up because of his name, up to a four-star or five-star prospect. Yeah, they're, Texas is loaded. They, and they played them competitively last year and blew it. And Ewers got hurt in the game. If he didn't get hurt, they won. The, they win that They were going to win the game last year! So, the, so is the, the handicap there is, well, they couldn't win it last year. I, I hear so much of the stuff, like, about two weeks ago... I really like Broussard and uh, Parker. Uh, great addition to that time slot. And uh, on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas and Fox, Fox Sports Radio National. And I, and I think they were doing the topic just because, you know, it's kind of it was kind of churning the butter, stirring the pot. But Rob Parker's angle on the Lions, and this was, whatever, four or five days before the game against the Chiefs is, well, the Lions haven't done anything in 65 years. They're not going to do anything this year. I'm like, this is, where, this is how we're going to break down sports? But isn't he a Detroit guy? He is. So I think maybe that's more of just they've let me down my whole life. My hurt. Yeah. Okay, well then, when's the last time the Jets won a big game? So 65 nothing tonight, Bills. That's my prediction. Is that the analysis we want? Like, <laughs> hasn't happened recently. Not going to happen again. I mean, do I have to channel Herm Edwards? Like, we play the games to win. That's why we play the games. I mixed a couple of statements there. But you get my point. Don't break down a game if you don't know anything about it. Because there were a lot of people who knew nothing and had no recollection of Texas last year being right there with Alabama. And guess who saved Bama's ass last year in the game? Bryce Young. And the drop-off from Bryce Young to any of these three guys is, right now, pretty precipitous. So, Alabama is going to be good. But some of the luster has worn off. And they don't, it doesn't look like they have someone who can be a top 10 quarterback in the country, at least right now. And that makes a big difference. How many L's do you think they would need to get for Saban to be on the hot seat? He's not on the hot seat. I'm just saying. He should have a lifetime contract. They owe him everything. And uh, that program, just like a lot of superpower programs, always has to remember back to dark days because the assumption is, well, Anyone can coach Alabama. Anyone can coach Nebraska. Well, apparently not. Uh, anyone can coach Texas. Apparently not. Right? For years and years, they've struggled. And Sark might be the guy. That's the other thing is I think there's still this general doubt in Steve Sarkeesian for some reason. Now, he did, he did let people down. He had an addiction issue. So he's still building trust back. But now Texas is going to have a really good year, and there's a, a pretty good chance that they can win the Big 12 and, I don't know about win it handily, but – they're certainly in a position to have a, a really big season. Did you check on our uh, check in on our ex this weekend, Derek Carr? Oh yeah. Did you watch it? He was playing my team. It was um, it was one of the main games I had on. I got to tell you, down the stretch, I didn't like a whole lot there from Vrabel. Field goal down sixteen twelve. The defense was supposed to make a stop. Well, they had multiple chances, and they couldn't do it. Is their defense that locked down 
that you're like, oh, our D will get us the ball back. When we're down 16-15, we'll be okay. I we have three timeouts. You were you were fine on the – was it fourth and six? I think it was fourth and six. Yes, yeah, it was fourth and six on the 11. And he, I knew. Kicks a, he kicks a 29-yard field goal with 217 left to get it to 16-15. And at that point, your defense, with all your timeouts, has to stop them. And the Saints get a first down on the first play. And then ballsy call by the Saints. They go up top, get another one. It was, but for me, I just – Derek Carr, here's my analysis. From For 80 yards, he's a top-10 quarterback. Just in the red zone. Well, he, that's I, I, They weren't great yesterday, but when it counted, he, just like Jimmy G, yeah. the most handsome and clutch guy in the NFL, Carr got it done. Here's Carr after the game, and uh, when things are good, Carr is absolutely only interested in the team. Come here in the first time in the New Jersey, all those kind of – a lot of emotions uh, today. Uh, but I told you I just wanted to win for this city, and uh, that's all That's all I wanted. We got the win. Doesn't matter how we do it. Let's just keep stacking. Right now, I just uh, – such peace, you know. I got such peace that it doesn't even make sense. Um, but I'm thankful that I get to go watch my teammates celebrate. We talked about that in the production meeting. I just I can't wait to get in there and watch those guys celebrate. That's what it's all about, just watching your teammates. You did it for them. Now they get to celebrate. You've given them joy. Um, I, I will say I am jealous of Derek Carr when he said he had – he had so much peace, so much inner peace that it didn't even make sense. I never have peace. Never. And it doesn't make any sense why I don't. I wish I could do a show that good. And you ask me after, I mean, I'm just at peace. <laughs> Happy you, for Steve. Yeah, can you imagine if you actually got that answer from me once? After every show, I'm like, meh. I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings, but every show, I'm like, eh, it sucked. Derek Carr's like, so much peace. Doesn't make sense. One game. <laughs> He's he's a unique guy, man, and he and in that city, he's gonna play really well as long as they're they're playing well and they're winning. He's an interesting dude. That's I, two reasons why Josh McDaniel said he had to get him he had to get him out of here because Josh has no inner peace. Yeah, so Josh was like, "You have peace? No, nah, I don't like that." Although I think Jimmy G is we keep using the word peace. I, I think he's like a pretty calm dude. Did you see the quote from uh, Nate Hobbs? Paul Gutierrez tweeted it out. He's like, "Oh, Jimmy's just unflappable, even with all the all the all the female fans. They're just Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. He doesn't. He just ignores him. It's his whole life. Every time he goes out, he just blocks it out. Tunnel vision. Put on the blinders. You think some women out of football games gonna get them all screwed up? No way. Most impressive win yesterday uh, was by the Niners against the Steelers. We're gonna bring in a uh, Niners expert from uh, ESPN in Northern California in less than five. Brock's pretty steady. Um, Brock, you don't see much different um, each day. I mean, he's a very faith-based person. I think that gives him his foundation as much as anyone I've been around. Um, he's taken this whole offseason as good as you can with a quarterback being injured. I mean, I think today was six months ago to where he had that big surgery, and he's done everything he can to come back, and he handles the pressure well and really doesn't change. I think that's why the guys love him, and I think that's why we'll continue to get better. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Little Shanny, Kyle Shanahan talking about his quarterback, Brock Purdy, who still looks like he's 15, but uh, trust me, Purdy has just enough arrogance to be great, and he is very calm. I got a chance to talk to him uh, two years ago at the East-West Shrine game, and I was like, man, I just felt like I just spoke to like a 62-year-old guy. Very composed, very composed, and I don't know, man. I thought this elbow thing was going to be a problem. I can't believe he's back. I can't believe how good he looked. Kyle Madsen – 
Writes for Niners Wire. He's on uh, ESPN 1320 in Sacramento. Jones Cofield here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm hanging in there, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, did I say anything off about Brock Purdy? I didn't add in the fate stuff because I, I don't necessarily uh, latch on to that. But uh, Brock Purdy does have a presence, and it showed yesterday. Yeah, man. He's uh, he's he's just good. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if in a vacuum he would he would be this good in on on 31 other teams. But for the Niners' purposes of trying to win a Super Bowl, it's it's hard to at this point say that he's incapable of doing that. Um, you know, they've not been in the spot that uh, I go back to the 2021 NFC title game uh, when the Niners played the Rams and Jimmy Garoppolo's shortcomings as a quarterback really showed up in that one, where the Rams tied it and then took the lead, and the Niners had the ball twice. Uh, with chances to put that game away, and Garoppolo just couldn't come through when the game was on his right arm. So we don't know if Purdy can do that, but uh, the offense under him looks better than it did with Garoppolo, which is uh, a step in the right direction. I saw you tweet in a uh, recap that you couldn't have been more wrong in how you thought the game would go. Where were you wrong? Boy, uh, (laughs) a a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, So my pregame thought was it was week one, and the Niners struggled last year in week one. They had a weird 2021 win in Detroit in, in the first week of that season. They lost their 2020 season opener. So week one hasn't been great to the Niners. And they have to go play 10 a.m. Pacific time against a really well-coached Steelers team uh, with Mike Tomlin. It was T.J. Watt against Colton McKivitz at right tackle. You could you could see that, uh, that that was going to be a problem for the Niners offense. And then you get to what the Steelers offense looked like in, in the preseason and Steve Wilkes first game as a Niners DC. And there were just a lot of little things that I thought could wind up kind of going against the 49ers and none of them did <laughs> like at all. So I was, uh, I was very surprised at, at how quickly the Niners kind of came out and hit the ground running really on both sides of the ball. And, and I think more specifically defensively uh, Pittsburgh had on their first five drives, 15 plays in one yard, they punted four times and they they had an interception. It was just a it was just a really dominant effort, and we don't typically see the 49ers play that way until November and December. And they played like that on on September 10, which was which was pretty shocking to me. So uh, this is a team that their stated goal is to win a Super Bowl, and they looked uh, they looked pretty locked in on Sunday. When it comes to the skill position players that the Niners have on offense, is Christian McCaffrey the most important when it comes to getting the team going? Yeah, I think so. I I, I would have said Debo Samuel a, a couple years ago just because he is such a tone setter for them. But McCaffrey does everything Samuel does. Uh, I, I think in terms of setting the tone, he is a he is a hard nosed runner. He's willing to go between the tackles. Uh, he's he he creates his own yardage. I think he had 112 yards after contact yesterday, which is which is pretty remarkable. And then everything he does in the in the passing game can set up you know set up Debo set up. Kittle set up uh, Brandon Ayuk. I, I definitely think if you remove any one of Kittle, Samuel, or or Ayuk from the equation, the Niners' offense still rolls. In fact, we saw that a little bit last year. Debo Samuel missed, uh, I think, weeks 14, 15, and 16, and and the Niners' offense is fine, or 15, 16, and 17, whatever it was. He missed three games, and the Niners' offense is fine. I, I don't know how they make up for a potential Christian McCaffrey loss if it comes to that. We mentioned Ayuk. Is he the number one now at receiver? 
Yeah, I can I think yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, so the the take for a while has been well Debo's the better playmaker, but Brandon Ayuk is the better wide receiver. Mm. And I don't know if that's true anymore because Ayuk is just so effective at getting open in all three areas of the field. And I don't think it's coincidence he caught all eight of his targets on Sunday. He was wide open a lot. And I, I haven't gone back and looked exactly, so I don't know if those were all busted coverages or uh, or not. I'm inclined to believe they weren't because he's just he's very, very good at getting open and, and he's an explosive enough athlete that he can make some plays on some balls in his hands. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it's Ayuk one, and and then Samuel two, just because I think I think Samuel is a little bit more limited as a pass catcher, and with McCaffrey now in the backfield, they don't need him running the ball as much as much as they did. So, still an elite playmaker, but I think if you're ordering the 49ers wide receiver depth chart, I think you're probably putting Ayuk one. Tom Matson's with us, NinersWire.com and ESPN Sacramento. Um, Daryl Johnson was doing the game yesterday, and I thought the story he told was very interesting. You guys might all know the story, but I didn't realize that Kyle Shanahan had to sit down with Debo Samuel last year and basically tell him uh, you're kind of a fat load. Like you got to get in shape. You're killing, your, I mean, you're killing your career. And he is. He 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 can be a big puffy guy. Um, and I wonder what it's like. You know, I'm sure he's happy to win, but I wonder what it's like watching Ayuk excel. And it's like, hey man, if you don't keep yourself in tip top shape, uh, you're going to be a good player, but you're not going to be a great player anymore. Yeah, and that was that was really apparent when it, Samuel would come in, even outside of his rookie year, so twenty and then twenty twenty one, and and certainly last year, he came into camp uh, at least a little bit out of shape, and you know he obviously overcame it in twenty one and had that that really great year and was the first team All Pro, but in twenty twenty he dealt with injury stuff, and then last year he was not as explosive. He was still good, but he wasn't. He called himself awful last year. I think that's probably a stretch. He wasn't awful, but he definitely wasn't, you know, the first team all pro playmaker we saw in 2021. And I think uh, Debo himself has attributed that to distractions in the off season with his contract. Um, and, and I think he's just not in shape until, you know, really late in the year. And, and he struggled because of it. So I, I, I think that it was the right thing for Shanahan to do because I think they need Samuel to be, uh, the the explosive playmaker that he was in 2021 and so far in camp and, and the preseason I think a little bit on Sunday you kind of saw that he is there and, and in shape and and trending toward having another good year you know why yesterday was scary a lot of reasons the margin um, also the uh, the crowd for the Niners my god the Niners fans are freaking everywhere but not only did Purdy look really good, I think way ahead of schedule. I figured, you know, torn elbow, he's going to be out forever, maybe midseason, yeah. but he came back and looked great. Nick Post only played 35 games. I'm looking at PFF, uh, top-rated defensive player for the Niners, <laughs> had an 85.5. <laughs> I mean, how, how scary is that that the guy is out? They showed a picture of him in the pregame, and it was like he's a friggin' bodybuilder, and uh, he showed out pretty well. He did. I think he did get trucked and kind of – he was off balance against uh, – Pittsburgh's tight end, uh, Darnell Washington, who's from Vegas, but that was a good opening game for not, you know, having played active football for months. Yeah, you could definitely tell it took him a few snaps to really get into it, and yeah, Dar- Darnell Washington got him good yeah. on uh, on one snap for sure. But it, it was you could tell it's Nick Bosa is the level of player that when he's not at his peak, it's really apparent, and it's still really good. Like you said, he is their highest graded defender. Uh, on pro football focus, but it's still really good, but not quite 
that, you know, Nick Bosa where you just, there's going to be a handful of plays a game where he's just unblockable. And he, he still had an effective game yesterday, but I, I, I do think if you're, if you're an opposing team and you're looking at what the Niners defense did yesterday, in particular with Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead, they were both so good on the interior. And then Drake Jackson had his, had his three sacks and you're going, if, if they get a even better version of Nick Bosa, like what, I mean, it's going to be really, really tough to move the ball on, uh, on this team. But uh, I, I still have some questions about their corners, but man, if, if their defensive front plays like it did yesterday on top of getting a better version of Nick Bosa than they got, I'm not sure how much the secondary is going to matter. I saw you mention on Twitter, and again, we're talking to Kyle Madsen, Kyle A. Madsen up on Twitter, that the Niners under uh, Kyle Shanahan are 2-4. and four. Oh, no, that's not right. You were talking about week one. Um, looking at a week two, that was a terrible setup. Week two, um, it's up to eight now at the Rams. Are you uh, Were you impressed by the Rams yesterday taking out the Seahawks? The Niners going to roll the Rams? Eight, eight points is a lot. Um, especially on the road against a division opponent, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I know there's the history, the recent history of the Niners kind of owning the Rams in the regular season. Um, I think a, a little bit of of what the Rams did yesterday was was a little bit fluky. They could not run the ball whatsoever. Uh, Seattle's pass rush is not good. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think they they had like I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was like five pressures. It was just not. It was not a good day for for Seattle's defense. Um, so I think the Niners will cause problems for the Rams if Seattle just couldn't really on on both sides of the ball, especially if the Rams are going to try and be one dimensional against against the defense with with Fred Warner in the middle of the field. Um, they're just not probably going to have a ton of success. But on the other hand, division games are weird, man. <laughs> and and eight points on the road after a long road trip to start the year uh, on the East Coast. The Niners are healthy, which is which is a good sign. So they should they should definitely win. But I would I would be very very careful laying eight points. A storyline from yesterday's game: Patrick Peterson. How much talk was made about his comments leading up to the game, and how much after from the Forty ers Leading up to it, it was funny. If this was prime Patrick Peterson, I think there would have been more of like a hullabaloo about it, but. This is the version of Patrick Peterson that's now a journeyman, and he's bouncing from team to team, and he's you know still fine, but he's not the the all pro that he was in in Arizona. So I think it was a little bit like, okay, like that's nice. You know, he, he says that, he, that he'll talk after his interception that he's going to get on Brock Purdy, and then he gets beat for two touchdowns, and Purdy's passer rating when targeting him was like one hundred and twenty nine point two. It was on on six targets, so it was it was just a little bit funny. That that you know the the guy that chooses to say something uh, has two touchdowns tossed on him, and there was definitely you know um, nothing really from the Niners, but definitely fans on Twitter and stuff doing a little bit of chirping. And, and Brock Purdy very uh, subtly after the game mm-hmm. talking about the back shoulder touchdown to IU, just kind of like, oh yeah, that one was cool. Was that Peterson? Oh yeah, that was that was that was <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. So just kind of the just the taking the high road, but also that little underhanded jab. Oh yeah, yeah. He knew it was. Believe me, he knew exactly oh, yeah, who it was. Sure. He, sure. <laughs> he's sneaky like that. Kyle, great job, man. We want to get you on more often. A good recap of the game. We appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, guys. Thanks. There he is, Kyle Mountain, ESPN. 1320NinersWire.com is very big on the A's. I didn't dare get into the A's. You saw the profile it was, picture. It was a very nice conversation. Let's not get everyone all angry. And believe me, that's on both sides of the phone. 
Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Come on, we got a three-team race. If we're going to do overreaction Monday after week one, three-team race for the Super Bowl in the NFC. San Fran, Dallas, and yeah, the Eagles weren't great, but it was a downpour in New England on, I guess, an emotional day with TB12 there. Who else? Who else? Who's the fourth team? Just NFC? Just NFC. Mm. Uh, Geno didn't look good yesterday, but I still think Seattle's pretty good. Packers may finish above 500. I had some hopes for Minnesota. That was not a good way to open things. I also hate the fact that Jefferson is playing without a contract extension. I think that is insane. Good for him that he's doing it in a monster game yesterday, but I wouldn't trust any NFL owner to be good on their word. Like, oh, you tore your knee? Yeah, we'll still give you the same deal. No. Saints? No. No. no, no. no, no, no. Okay, that was, a, that was a sleeper for a lot of people. A lot of people like the Saints. Potentially. We haven't talked about the Lions. I mean, I know they played on Thursday. Yeah. I think the Lions can be nine or ten wins. I, I think the, the NFC is going to have two dominant teams for sure. I know this is going to sound crazy. I'm not completely bought in on Dallas simply because I think the Giants are kind of mediocre and they exceeded expectations a year ago. Uh, Dallas's defense is really good. By the way, what happens? You know, it's funny. We were talking about some national talk shows, and I think a lot of them kind of pick targets they're going to go after. And uh, Hurd has just been annihilating. I, I don't even – you'd think Dak Prescott's like a just a creep because he's just been burying him. And I guess you can come on – I didn't listen to the show today, but uh, I guess you can come on and be like, oh, it's a giant. It's no big deal. You know. And, and, and actually, it wasn't for Dak because – it's funny. I watched a little bit of the game, and then I was looking through the box score, and I'm like, no one scored touchdowns on offense. How the hell did they score 40 points? They scored every way possible on defense and special teams. It was crazy. And Micah Parsons is awesome. Yeah. That was another brilliant uh, draft. No, no, that, was, that wasn't the analysis. It was a couple years ago when he got drafted and I was watching him on Hard Knocks. I'm like, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see the maturity. No, Oops. I don't need maturity. Oops. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's actually kind of mature. I don't know what happened in the Penn State locker room. I don't know either, but he can play football, and I hope he didn't do anything horrible back then. But uh, he's freaking awesome, and he backs it up. And Americans, we need to go back to like taking women out of the workforce. Maybe that's where we up, you guys. We let women vote. No offense. No, no, I want to tell you guys something. Think about America prior to women voting. They try to ban alcohol. I don't even drink, but I'm not trying to ban alcohol. So what you did, man, you let these women come in the workforce. Now we make less money. You got kids raising themselves on TikTok. We need to go back to like 1942. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Uh-oh. Sean Strickland won a big fight over the weekend in UFC, beat Israel Adesanya. Now he's got the mic. Now he's got the mic. Steve Kim has the mic. Steve's a longtime buddy of Cofield and Company. Wanted to talk some football, a little fight talk. Steve, how you doing, buddy? Mr. Cofield, how are you? Hope you're doing well. I am good. I really enjoyed. This is always strange. I think people uh, don't react the right way to this, but I really enjoyed your Twitter this weekend. You had opinions on just about everything, so I wanted to talk a bunch of football with you. But uh, out of the gates, I got to mention the Canes and the performance. And well, we have a little bet on the Hurricanes. I'll mention that in a second. But what do you think about Miami over uh, Tamu? 
Well, it was great. It was a much-needed win for Mario Cristobal. I mean, last year was about as uh, bad a year as you could hope for. It was a disaster. And I look back at it, and probably the one regret Cristobal had is that he didn't go full Lincoln-Riley or Deion Sanders and bring his own Louie. But this offseason, he flipped the roster. Um, you know, a lot of recruiting and some transfer portal, liberal use of it. And it's, it's basically a new team. And I went to the game. It was a great atmosphere. It was not a sellout, but it wasn't half full either. But this year's Miami team, Steve, people have asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, what do you think about this team? It's going to be a tougher, more physical unit. And the two new coordinators, Lance Guidry uh, and Shannon Dawson, have been absolute godsend. That's another thing that I think Mario really missed last year. He went 0 for 2 on those coordinator hires. I like this team, Steve. And if you look forward, they have a very good chance of being 5-0 and before they go to UNC in early October. Steve Kim is with us. All right, let's talk some college football beyond that, and I'll get – Back to the Canes in just a couple minutes. Uh, first of all, you know, uh, starting the uh, debate up on social media. Not, I'm not starting it, but I see the debate going on with Mel Tucker and Michigan State and an accusation here. And some people reported that he was fired. He right now is suspended. This is a crazy situation. He is being uh, alleged to have uh, sexually harassed a woman who is an expert on, um, well, counseling programs on sexual harassment. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I, I, we did, I did a long segment with Jason Whitlock and Fearless today. If he's going to be fired for anything, and, and by the way, the fact he's suspended right now, it, it, this looks like a fait accompli. I believe that he's going to lose his job, and now the only question is how much of that remaining salary is he going to get? The Oliver Stone in me, Steve, wonders if this is kind of buyer's remorse for that exorbitant contract or the extension that they signed Tucker to two years ago. Right. With that said... You know, with Mel Tucker, I, I, you got to read the room, whether that was consensual or not. The last person you want to have, and this would be an extramarital affair, physical or emotional, whatever you want to call it, yeah. the last person you may want to hit on is the person that's being brought in for, who's a former rape victim, she says, and an advocate for women's rights. I just, sometimes you wonder if we think straight or with the, what part of our anatomy and Mel Tucker, I look to a certain degree. I, I do think some of this stuff is very suspicious. I hope he gets a fair trial, but in this overly politically correct climate, I get the sense that his, his fate has already been sealed. Yeah. So the, uh, the write up on the blaze, a column by Whitlock, no one will learn anything from the Mel Tucker's mistake is, is pretty interesting. So I would tell people to go, Check that out. You mentioned the the political atmosphere right now, the PC atmosphere right now. I don't like Art Browse. I don't like him being around, but I understand he's connected to uh, Levy at um, at Oklahoma. What do you make of that whole situation? I mean, should he be punished for life and not be allowed? Does he make everyone uncomfortable? I'm sure he does from a perspective of optic. That's another issue that me and Jason talked about earlier today, and that show is going to go live at 4 p.m., I, I don't understand this. Jeff Levy, it's not like he brought in Art Bryles as a fellow football coach. He's actually related to him, yeah. and he wasn't there in any official capacity. Is a man not allowed to actually enjoy his family and spend time around them? And I'm trying to figure out from the writer or that journalism or that uh, journalist that had the question, what was the angle? I, I don't know how it impacted the game. I, I think that was kind of like gotcha journalism or whatever you want to call it. I think that's one of the reasons why many people find mainstream, modern mainstream media contemptible. Not only are they dishonest, I, I also think they come with a terrible dishonest agenda. 
And I, look, the Art Brile story is very interesting in the sense there's a perception of what happened. And Jason Whitlock's done a lot of digging on this, but what actually happened are two different things. But look, this is not to excuse Art Bryles for any of the other missteps he made. However, uh, there comes a point in time when a man is allowed or should be allowed to live the rest of his life as a public citizen. Uh, on the field, what do you think of Bama and Texas? I, I saw you make a couple of points about Saban. Is uh, Bama in a backslide now? A lot of people thought that Texas had no shot, which um, by the X's and O's and by the rosters, I didn't understand that. Texas has a pretty loaded roster. So what do you think of Saban falling? Uh, Steve, I am kicking myself in the head because the whole summer I thought Texas had a shot. You go back to last year's game, if Quinn Ewers does not get knocked out early, they lost by one point, and they were basically down to a hobbled quarterback in Hudson Card who ended up transferring. They they could have won that game, but last year's Alabama team, if you really study their games, I thought they were a very, very undisciplined unit by most saving standards, and they were bailed out a lot by a magician at quarterback, uh, who went number one, and Jameer Gibbs, who did a lot of great things in terms of turning five-yard gains into 25-yard gains. This team, is it's interesting. I don't believe they have an elite quarterback. Jalen Milrose, in my view, I just don't think he's a, a – for what they want to run, I don't think he fits. Tommy Reeves, to me, I've talked to football people. I've listened to football people. They didn't like that hire as uh, the offensive coordinator – and they don't have the overall talent outside. There's no more Devontae Smith or Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy's right now for the Crimson Tide. And Steve Sarkeesian, I think, did a brilliant job of being bold. He was not scared. He had a skilled quarterback. And their tight end, Travavion Sanders, looks like an All-American. But they also had two good receivers. And I've said this, Steve. If you look at the pattern of the last 10 years when people beat Bama, you know what they do? They consistently challenge vertically. You cannot just be conservative and hope to dink and dunk. You have to take shots. Now, that comes with having a good quarterback and enough athletes outside. And if you look at the big plays in that game, Sarkeesian basically said, we're going to play our game and challenge them deep. And they did it over and over and over again. And I would think that Sarkeesian now has job security for at least another month. (laughs) Uh, SEC is 3-6 and so far. Against uh, in this non-con against Power Five opponents, the ACC is four and one against the SEC. Oh, or is it too Uh-oh. too too small a sample size? Well, no, no. All, all of Saturday night and Sunday morning, I was chanting ACC <laughs> you are, at the yeah. top of my lungs. That's why my, my voice is so raspy. And one day, maybe the SEC will take football seriously and become a serious football <laughs> league. Right? Okay. No, but I, look, this is what's happening. The, the, the SEC has always been a little top-heavy, though, Steve. It, it yep. consists of four dominant teams that have had great histories recently. The rest of the squads are just kind of teams that would fit in with any other conference. I would say that this year, though, seriously, the league that has, and this is ironic, the league that has the most balance and the best quarterback play, top to bottom, is the Pac-12. Yep. And I watched some of those late games. I thought Cal outplayed Auburn. But they missed two short field goals, and they lost by four. Uh, Arizona hung tough with Mississippi State in Starkville. The Pac-12, to me, is the best conference in football, believe it or not. It's ironic because by next year, there won't be one. So my football betting on this show will uh, maybe come back to haunt me. First of all, DeMond and I have a bet on Colorado. After the win last week against TCU, he reset the win total at seven, and I'm like, I'll go under. How much trouble am I in now? They beat Nebraska. They beat them pretty easily in the second half of the game. Over under seven wins. 
That, boy, that's a tough one. Look, they're going to win this upcoming week. Colorado State's not that good. No. But I'm just telling you, when they get to the meat and the heart of the Pac-12 schedule, and I don't have the schedule in front of me, here's what's really good about the Pac-12 and so tough. I believe Oregon State is going to be very good. I like them. I pointed them out a few weeks ago. And DJU will rehabilitate his career. I think he's actually going to get drafted. He has all the tools, and now I think he's being coached up better. Even a team like Washington State is extremely good, and they had a big win against Wisconsin. I like Cam Ward. So, you know, in other words, the Buffaloes are not just going to play Jeff Sims uh, every single week. They're actually going to be going up against more offenses and quarterbacks that are going to challenge them defensively. But if Dion can get to five or six wins, that's a brilliant job of coaching. It's an incredible foundation that he has set. And it's been shown that Shadur Sanderson is a bona fide elite college quarterback. I don't think there's any doubts about him. But seven, boy. It's a good number, right? I don't know. That would be a miracle if they got to seven. I'll be honest. Because to take a team from one win to seven. It's crazy. Steve, I don't think that's ever been done before. (laughs) No. But these first two games weren't supposed to happen either. So uh, how about this one? Uh, We were in an argument last week about Mario Cristobal. I'm a pro Cristobal guy. And I did a two-year over-under win total of 15 this year and next year total. 15. Yes. Look, one thing about Mario, he is a guy that's about culture. And last year's team, from what I understand and what I've been told, we had a lot of guys that just were not going to tough it out. And Mario is a relentless recruiter. The knock on him was, was, is he going to allow the coordinator to run an open offense? Because his specialty, because that's what he played at Miami, was offensive line, and that's what he's known for. And there's still a segment of Oregon fans that believe that Justin Herbert held him back, or he held Justin Herbert back. But if you look at the numbers – it's not like they run the triple wing or the veer with Herbert. They actually ran a pro set or a pro style spread offense based on power. It was really interesting that when he had to replace coordinators, he went with Shannon Dawson, who's more or less an air raid guy who came from the Hal Mummy tree. Now, the air raid has really kind of evolved, Steve. It's not just four or five receivers anymore, there's actually a lot more elements of the run game. But the fact that he has allowed Shannon Dawson, it seems, to run his offense, which is probably a little bit more wide open than what he's accustomed to, shows me that Mario actually understands the type of athletes that he has. So 15 over two-year stretch, uh, I I would start buying that Bentley and that Rolex now. Uh, Put it on layaway, Steve. You're good. Don't worry about it. There is that much on the line, actually. Uh, (laughs) Two-part question here before we get out of here. Steve Kim is with us. Tell people when your podcast with uh, the next one with uh, Mario Lopez is going to drop, and what the hell is going on with Shakur Stevenson? I mean, this is ridiculous. He's getting avoided like the Black Plague. It, it's ridiculous when fighters like Frank Martin, who's a good little fighter, is being offered, from what I understand, uh, about 11 and a half times more than his previous high payday. Now, wow. Steve, me and you, we've been around the boxing scene. We've seen it kind of evolve or devolve the last 20 years. You know, the knock on guys like Shakur or fighters who are that good and difficult is the risk versus reward. Yes, Shakur Stevenson is probably unbeatable between 35 and 40. I think he's that good. He might be the modern-day Pernell Whitaker. But this is where the equalizer. When that, when that type of risk comes with a reward of over a million dollars, if you've never made even 100000 I look, I hate to call fighters ducks. But, Steve, it, how, how do you defend that particular uh, move unless 
Frank Martin is guided to the PBC and gets a, an equal or greater payday against, let's say, a Tank Davis. Short of that, again, how would you label that move? Right. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, when does the pod drop? Well, we're actually going to be taping in about 20 minutes. Mario says you'll be here by 4, which in Mario parlance means 4.30. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be up by Wednesday. It's the three-knockdown rule. You can get it on UFC Fight Pass, and then it'll also be on all the major podcast platforms, and we have our own YouTube channel. Steve, I want to get you on more often. I got to, I got to say, and you can pass it on to uh, Coach JB. God, he drives me nuts. Isn't uh, he the best though? No, he he drives he drives me nuts. He's he's back in the day guy, and he's he's like he's younger than both of us. You can't do back in the day guy. How old is he? Younger than us, but I mean, he's got that old man soul, oh, and you know, and he's steadfast and he's consistent. Come, Come on. on. Yes, yesterday you he sends out a thing. He's like, I told you, quarterback plays worse than it's ever been in the NFL. And then you send out a tweet. You're like, eh, it's not countering it, but you're like, yeah, it looks kind of ragged today because people don't play in the preseason. You're right. He's not. Quarter, quarterback well, plays I mean, not, it's not worse than it's ever be been. Right? That quarterback plays at an all-time low. It's and not, raggedy, come on. It's not, it's not at an all-time low. That's absurd. It's the beginning of the season. It's rusty. Defensive coaches are better than ever. This is a, con- a conversation we can continue down the road. Get to the podcast. I appreciate your time as always. Any, any, anytime, Steven. And, again, thanks for that ride back in July. I did not feel like walking <laughs> back three miles to my car in 110-degree heat. I owe you one, Cofield. <laughs> well, you just did it. There you go. You don't know me anymore. There he is. Steve Kim, longtime Boxing personality, scribe, and he's really good on football, really entertaining at uh, Steve Kim 323 up on Twitter.